So today I was thinking, I was I had a really long drive, and I was thinking, how insane is it that I literally, I mean, I didn't drive through, but I basically drove next to where the Donners died because they had no food and water and they couldn't get through a blizzard. Hell, hold I on, just, hold on. I just jo- drove through it in like 10 minutes. Isn't that insane? Haven't we talked about the Donner Party before? Yeah, we have. We have. But but I just want I just want to reflect on the fact that we live in a world where you can drive from here to where the Donners died of starvation and eating each other because they were frozen in the winter. That's and crazy. Now we got those heated cars. Yeah. My 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 seat butt warmers were, you know nice and toasty. It's crazy. What an incredible epiphany, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> welcome to Everything Comes From Something. My name is Isaac Ransom. I'm Cameron Tuttle. This is episode 34. Um, again, never thought of a title, so it will be there. But today, Cameron and I are talking about novels. Yeah. I well, think... I'd just say books in general. Books. I do want to touch on a couple a couple nonfiction things. The, the reason being is that this specific topic was submitted by our Patreon producer, Kiana Lay. Thank you, Kiana, for supporting the show. And of course, we have a big bunch of producers now that are supporting this show. When I mean bunch, a I mean big old four. Bunch. <laughs> uh, also, shout out to Darren O'Neill, Ariel Walk, and Eric Walk. Uh, they have all been supporting us very generously. If you guys want to be on our creative team who comes up with the topics for this show, you can check out our Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash podcast. And if you can't be at the producer level, we always have the smaller submissions as well, the $1 and $5 level. Um, all of it helps. All of it supports the show. And, oh, man, I didn't even tell you this, camera. My voice is like, like I have a scratchy throat today. So really? I'm already like, oh, man, this is... Whew. Yep. Well, I'm coming back from a from a long, long drive. It wasn't that long, but a, a a nice journey up to Tahoe. I had a pretty good week going skiing. Did you do anything significant this week other than just uh, eat? I've been thinking about how I'm too busy to think. Oh wow! And that is like <laughs> that is like the permeating idea of my last like two weeks. Too busy to think. Yeah. So I tried writing a song about it, but. My music sucks. But so. you couldn't think? I couldn't think. I couldn't get anything, <laughs> as a matter of fact. I see. I see. So the first, I guess the first sort of question before we jump into it is like, you were, we were going through sort of like the books that we were reading and we had, um, we've read before, and you kind of came to the realization that you just don't have time to read. You like never read. It's sad. I don't, I don't read literature. Mm. By mm. any stretch of the imagination, I would say that most of my experience reading literature, if that, I don't even know how you classify that, uh, is limited to what we were given in high school. Yeah. And so when we were making a list of kind of the books and and uh, maybe even short stories uh, we wanted to discuss on this podcast, I just felt kind of dumb, if, if that <laughs> makes sense. I was just like, dude, I haven't had a lot of time to read. Most of the reading that I do take time to do is either, um, like, I, I only do it when I'm on vacation, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, and, and most of the reading that I do do isn't literature. It's either nonfiction, uh, history-related, or it's, like, gospel-related. Yeah. As you guys yeah. know that I'm plugged into a church. So there's lots of different, like, theological ideas that they throw around. And I like reading those books a lot, but I don't, I don't take time to read, like, 
story literature mm. anymore, yeah. which which is kind of sad. I've I've sort of divvied that off to movies. Well, you could get through a movie in an hour and a half, but you can't get through a book that fast. Yeah. And which, so, which is too bad. I mean, like that that is one of the struggles with me and reading. It's like I know when I pick up a book, I'm not going to finish it until like at least like two months later. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's going to it has to be in little bits and pieces. There are some books that I'm still reading that I've been reading for like a year and a half. <laughs> How do you even keep track of like the story at that point? Um sometimes you just have to read like like read summaries yeah you have to go back or or sometimes that that was probably my most the most frustrating experience i had as a kid when i would read either if i had required reading for class or if i was just reading something in general it was like you would read and sometimes you just lose focus right (laughs) and And then then you you reread the same paragraph like two times you have to reread the same section or the same page or the same two pages because it's like none of it is registering so I think reading is a good exercise to practice like focus and even like critical thinking, even though it's just giving you information, you have to process it. Yeah. You yeah. have to basically use your own imagination to create the world. And that and that's actually why I think literature is is so incredible and why even as we were brainstorming, I almost feel like a heavy depression has fallen fallen upon me. <laughs> because just, you because you don't read? Yeah, I'm just like uh, well, I have said it on past episodes. You know, I just I don't read a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you have you thought about doing audiobooks? Can you do audiobooks? Mm, nah, I, I like I like music and podcasts too much. Yeah, no, I mean I feel that on like a scheduling basis, yeah. but I think if reading reading is is difficult, I would recommend audiobooks. It's easier for me to to jump into a podcast and an audiobook than to jump into like a book book. Um, it takes a lot of the problem the one of my main problems with reading is that you can't do anything else you're like stuck you're yeah, you yeah, like yeah. Ex- only the, your only existence is reading you know exactly and that's hard for me as someone who can't do anything on its on its own like <laughs> i have to be doing two other things I, I feel like it's sad because i'm assuming most people our age agree with you yeah, yeah. when it comes to reading that's probably why a majority of our generation won't be reading. Yeah. But that time. that's why I think audiobooks are so much I mean, it really does open up the world because you can put it on while you're making it, dinner, you can put it on while you're while you're driving. You know, there there's it's it does it does help, I think. But is it the same? Because you're not getting that same like critical exercise of reading the words, processing them. Using well, I guess you can still use your imagination. Uh, maybe the this the experience is a little to me. Just to me, it's delivery. similar. To me, it's it's very similar because I can process things like listening to them. Sometimes even better. I mean, depending on like like how distracted I am. Sometimes I can do I can process audio better than I can uh, reading things. So. Yeah. And uh, one thing that I le- so I used to be really terrible at reading like back in high school and junior high. No, I'm awful at reading. Um so. but one thing that really helped me was reading along like something that I really needed to read. If it was like I need I have to get this information into my head. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um I would read and then I would have the audiobook alongside of it. And then that way you didn't get that sort of distract you it was like double exposure you know wait so you would read a book with an audiobook yeah interesting interesting it was, a good, it was a good way to do it i feel like 
that's a good spark note for all you students out there. Yeah. The only thing is, is they don't have audiobooks for textbooks, do they? Um, I found some, but oh, it's very it, that would it's be very rare. Awful. You're just trying to pound the information into your head. Yeah. Reading it. I mean, it. A lot of the books that I read in college, because I I took a lot of philosophy classes, so a lot of the philosophy philosophy books that I read in college were, uh, I would read that way if I like really had to get it in because. I mean, those books are dense and they're really difficult. So yeah. like one of the one of the books that I wanted to t- touch on was Introduction to the Metaphysics of Morals by Kant, Immanuel Kant. Um, that's a dense book. <laughs> that book is hard. I but feel like it's I've, really good. I've read something by him, but I couldn't tell you what it is. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm sure you have. You probably didn't. I, you ever, you ever, I, I had to read it like a lot. You ever have those college professors that talk referencing a bunch of different books as if you would know what they're talking about i i just i sometimes sit there and i wonder do these people have any idea who they're talking to <laughs> nobody has read the book you're discussing well maybe I mean, they're like to... required reading no oh. no like they'll be like oh and you would know this uh from this great book that this person wrote and uh blah 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 well blah, i mean blah. are they like are they classics are there things that you should read? Everybody has a subjective opinion of what a classic is, right? Eh, I I think there's a canon. I had one particular there's a canon of classics. I had one particular history teacher who I absolutely hated <laughs> okay. in college. He was at West Valley. His name was Juarez. Don't take his class. Again, I like <laughs> worst. I just couldn't. I couldn't find the energy to get to class too. Yeah, but he would just moan on and on about these different books and how they really expose history in a new light he was also a little radical in his ideas as well which i found unpalatable so i think all, what, all that what to were say, the books what were the books well the one book the book that he made us read um shoot was it people's history zen 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 yeah zen, howard zen yeah, yeah. yeah. people's history of the, uh, yeah. the united states and it wasn't bad but it didn't feel like a textbook it was such a, a like it's weird because the people's history of the United States is written from like these these perspective they basically try to like shift the perspective on different historical events. Yeah. And that's an interesting idea, right? And it's well executed by Zinn. I found uh Zinn much more like enjoyable to read, uh, rather than listen to my professor talk about Zinn. Sure, yeah. Because he amplified his own uh ideas into Zinn's writing. When I'd read Zinn, he just was like, oh, most people see this situation in American history as like this, but nobody actually considers the side of this other person. Did I, I've, I've never read it, but did he, does he use like primary sources and whatnot? Is that, is that mainly how he, he does that? I, I honestly don't remember. Mm. It was just, it was, it didn't feel like a history book because he's telling it like a story that you haven't heard before. Sure. Yeah. And I think th- that's interesting. It is interesting. I, I'd be I'd be willing to read it. A lot of people enjoy the book. Actually, I would say I want to go back and revisit uh, Zen as far as like history textbooks. Just know that it's pretty opinionated. But which, of course, my teacher did not acknowledge. He was like, "No, no, no. It's raw fact. It's raw <laughs> fact. Oh, of course, of course. Sure, sure. Yeah. I I don't know. That was just a random tangent. I don't know what I was <laughs> talking about. Just teachers referring to books or even. Uh, like I have a, a econ professor right now who refers to these great economists, and I luckily I took a history of economic thought, which I'm surprised how much stuck like stuck with me uh, for this class. But he'd reference certain people, 
And I'd be like, no one in this class is going to remember who you're talking about. They invented one tiny thing <laughs> on another thing that is amplified by a newer economist, right? Yeah. So, did just, you, have you ever read any uh, any Soul, Thomas Soul? No. You should. I highly, highly, highly recommend all of his I just, books. That triggered something. I feel like we were talking about him. Basic Economics, you should read. Yes. Um, yeah. Economic Facts and Fallacies, you should read. And um, uh, Black black Rednecks and White Liberals, you should wow. read. Those are the those are like the three books that are quintessential. That is quite interesting. There's there's a uh, ki- the, I'm just going on a rant at this point. <laughs> We're gonna get to the books in a second. I met this kid in my econometrics class who, I I just heard him bickering and and kind of arguing with people in the back of the class because my econometrics class is is kind of a, it's just not well put together. The teacher's brand new and uh, she doesn't know what she's doing. And we just found out she's pregnant as well. Um, so she's going to leave? I get, I have no idea what's going to happen, actually. <laughs> but yeah, she doesn't look like... Like, she kind of looks like it. Everybody mm. was like, is she pregnant or just, like, having too much stress eating or something? <laughs> like, we couldn't decide, but it's a, it's noticeable, so I don't know how long she has. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with all that said, the, this kid was sitting in the back of the class and, like, arguing about... Or very, he's just such an angry person. Mm-hmm. So angry, dude. Mm-hmm. And the reason I want to talk about this is because when when you're talking about economics, you know I love economics. If you've listened to this show, you'll know how much I enjoy economics. This kid is like ranting on the back, very just very opinionated to a, a specific side, right? And so one of the things he says is, "Oh, like libertarians are like evil rich people who are trying to." <laughs> You know, they just want to keep their money, right? And if you don't know, I'm I've registered as a libertarian uh, for at least the time being. I'm gonna have to get a new ID in like a year or two. Is 2020 is like the real? Yeah, ID. they they're doing this new California ID thing, and libertarian is kind of extreme, but I find it interesting, right? At least conceptually, right? And so I hear this kid yelling about it, and after class, I end up talking to him, right? And I was like, you sound like you're really like fired up about this, about this, like, um, you know, this political stuff. And he and he starts going on and on. Um, and then he somehow like gets to the libertarian thing. And he's like, oh, I hate libertarians. Da, 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 da. And I look at him and I'm like, well, I'm registered libertarian. <laughs> and he was just like so taken back. And I was like, I'm not rich and I don't really like. I have a lot of money, <laughs> but I'm registered as libertarian. But my favorite thing that he said was that economics was all like lies, and that like <laughs> he's like, "There's no science behind it. It's like, it's like this evil force. Economics is just like terrible." And and I'm like, "What's your major?" And he's like, "Economics." I'm like, "What the heck, dude? This kid is like wild." But so weird. I ended up talking to him for like 45 minutes after class. No joke. What Out in the cold. Really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was crazy. It was a good conversation, but he, uh, a little, uh, the best way I can describe him is just angry. Just not happy. Not have a good mm. time. Yes, it's very evil that people don't want other people to, t- to take other people's money. That's an evil thing. All right, shut up, you <laughs> anarchist. <laughs> Anyways. Uh Let's get back to the books. Okay. And let's not talk about econ forever because- Let's do the books. I pretty much have a headache already. So in seventh grade, uh, we read Animal Farm. And that kind of that kind of based my trajectory on 
on, you know, like, uh, it's not really post-apocalyptic, but it's like, it's like dystopian novels, you know? Yeah. And that, I, I love, I love that genre. Uh, I think you do too, probably. It's like very interesting. It's a very interesting place. Well, I think a well-crafted dystopian, like dystopian fiction is probably one of my favorite, uh, categories for a story yeah yeah and it has to be like well crafted and we're gonna get into a couple other dystopian um stories as well but i think what makes them so impactful is that they can over dramatize the extreme of particular ideas yeah and well and, and it's also like i mean the most impactful dystopian novels are the ones that you can see actually happening you're like you're like, wow, I, I, I see the trajectory. Well, okay, of but what not I'm even doing. so, because Animal Farm, nobody t- talks about no, but talking animals. But it's an allegory. I mean, it, it's an allegory. It's an allegory, right? What I, what I want to get at is that most dystopian stories lean on a level of approachability, right? Yeah. There's some sort of aspect that draws you in, and then it usually, towards the end, knocks it out of the park with the, with the idea. Um, later on, we're going to be talking about Fahrenheit 451 and 1984. Um, both books that Cameron and I enjoy. And before, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about them more, but those books remind me of this game called Bioshock, or at least what I've seen yeah. from Bioshock. Oh, yeah, because you've never played it. I, I haven't played it. I, by the way, I bought it. Oh, yeah? I bought the it. Collection the collection? The remaster. Okay, just okay. the first one, because I hear the first one's the best one. Yeah. Um, I bought the remaster. Hopefully, we'll do a video or something on yeah, it. Yeah, let's do it. If we have some sort of way to record it. I, I should figure it I out. should replay it. I, I'd like to replay it. Or we'll play it together. Okay. I th- dude, I honestly think that people are interested in watching people play an old game for the first time that's like a classic. Mm. Okay. And... So maybe we'll tap. So, you into know that. what? Speaking of that, I don't know if I want to say this on air necessarily, but I had a really good idea for maybe this is like kind of a longer, longer uh, in the future plan. And I haven't told you this, but um, I would love to do a series of of like having you watch maybe classic movies or movies that you totally never would watch. They don't have to be classic. I love that. Like indies or or you know stuff that you just like. I'm never gonna watch this, and we'll watch it together. And then, and then, if you hate it, you have to give me some things that you liked about it. You have to give me the reasons why they're classics, right? Well, so that's actually one of my favorite things to do. Even right now with music, yeah. it's probably one of my favorite um, medians of entertainment to kind of expose myself to mm-hmm. things I normally wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll usually listen through albums and really try to find things that I like about them. Yeah. Like recently, I sat down and started listening to Vessel, which is a twenty-one pi- uh, twenty-one pilots. Is that the name of the band? I don't know. Uh, Who knows? Twenty-two pilots. 20- Twenty-three pilots. <laughs> twenty-one guns. <laughs> it's twenty-one pilots. Uh, that is, I think their their first full length album, and it has a really great song called Car Radio. Um, and I there's another song called Holding On to You that's really good. But I decided to start listening to it, and it is, like, super experimental. Mm. Um, kind of, the guy, like, raps like Eminem over really, really, like, obscure beat production. Yeah. And it has live drums. So that's mm. the whole thing, is the, uh, 21 Pilots has a lead, like, rap singer, and then his brother is a drummer. Mm. So that's mm. all they have, right? And then the rest is electronic. So, uh, interesting, I exposed myself. I couldn't get through the album. I couldn't finish it. <laughs> Um, 
but I do enjoy uh, kind of trying new things. And I think we should do that. I think let's let's set a let's set a plan to 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 branch off. Man, we are really all over the place this episode. That's okay. It's a good thing it's I didn't say a well, title. I'm gonna beginning. I'm gonna br- I'm gonna bring it back because I I think there's a certain amount of that with classics where you go back. It's the same with it's the same with movies that are like oh oh a 2001 a Space Odyssey is the best movie ever made and you go back and you watch it and you're like this is not very good. <laughs> you know. I what recently I mean? watched Terminator Two, which I like. Yeah. I watched it with Jules. There's something eye opening about watching a movie for the first time with someone that you think is a classic Mm. and then you're watching that movie again. It's their first time watching it and you're trying to see it through new eyes and you're like, Whoa, this movie is not holding up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think I feel the same way about, about some of these books that we're going to talk about because Mm -hmm. the problem, and maybe it's just me, like maybe I'm just stupid or something, but like, I read a lot of these books and I'm like, I just don't get it. I don't get what all what all the fuss is about. Like um like Hamlet. I you I I did not really understand that book. We I, gotta we gotta decide. Are we gonna be talking about Shakespeare for a second or are we going with Animal Farm? We're gonna talk I'm gonna talk about Shakespeare for a second. Let's get this over with. Okay. Okay. Because she, I I read through Hamlet and I was very frustrated because I felt like um I I I was like, this is all just poetry that's tied together, loosely tied together with a terrible plot. Right. And I don't understand why everybody is like so into this. I don't know if it was the witty writing. Maybe that's, maybe it's like, why do people go see Deadpool? The plot isn't that good. (laughs) You just compared Deadpool to Shakespeare. Well, but listen, (laughs) like Shakespeare was supposed to be funny, right? You read it. Yeah. yeah. You read it with the teacher. A lot of Shakespeare is funny. Right. And they're like, oh, this line was really funny back in the day when they used to perform it on the stage. I mean, a lot of Shakespeare is still funny. No one in the class is laughing. I did. Well, you would be the only one. I know. I, I was just laughing like a psycho. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. He bit his thumb. <laughs> no, there's a, oh, man, there's a, I can't remember what the line is, but there's a line that's just like total innuendo about Ophelia being, being oh, oh, like yes. running around and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's so good. I, re- I remember something about Ophelia. Yeah. But, um, but with all that said, the main point I want to make about Hamlet is that Macbeth is way better. I agree. I, I agree. As yeah. far as the plot goes, um, I just there was just so much about Hamlet that like everyone knew that you would read Hamlet senior year. Yeah. Right. At least that's how it was in my school. And so for me, being kind of interested in English, I was excited about reading Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And it was the stupidest like... It was just such a flat experience. Yeah, it's a really boring story. Yeah. And, like, there's so... The problem for me was, like, did this guy not understand, like, like plot structure? <laughs> like, he leaves, and then he comes... He gets, like, captured by pirates or something, but they're like, eh, don't worry about that. Isn't there, and like... And he comes back, and he's on a graveyard. There's and, weird theories about uh, Shakespeare not even, like, writing Hamlet. Yeah, so... Th- well, I don't know about Hamlet necessarily, but I know there's theories that Shakespeare wasn't one writer. He was like a ghost writer. Uh, yeah, that a ghost writers form. That the idea is that Shakespeare was like a series of writers or other or one other person, um, because there's very little evidence of Shakespeare's life. Now, this isn't is 
That's a conspiracy theory I'm willing to get behind. Is Shakespeare considered like poetry? Some of it is, yeah. Here's the thing about poetry. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm just going to go out there and say that. You've never found a poem that you were like, never. oh man, I really identify never. with this. Really? Never. Never. <laughs> I've never enjoyed a poem. Wow. I I disagree with that, but Well, you can. Okay. I just am saying it. <laughs> if you want good poetry, like, my issue with poetry is that it is so unstructured, right? It can be, yeah. It's, like, you learn these rules about poetry in English, but then you actually start listening to, like, modern poetry or, like, any sort of poetry. It just, every, basically, like, to be recognized, they just break the rules. Well, this is... I mean, this is true in literature and in film and in everything. I mean, this is like post-structuralism. That's that's the whole movement. Here's the thing, though. Poetry means nothing. It means nothing because everybody has already destructured it. That's true. Yeah, and that's why I'm like, I don't understand how you can say you enjoy poetry because it means nothing. Well, you have to go back to to the classics. It means nothing. You gotta gotta go back to to. You want to go back to Whitman, Beowulf? No. Let me get started on Beowulf here. Okay, let's do okay? it. Okay? We, re- we had to read a story about Beowulf. What does Beowulf sound like to you, Cameron? I know I already told you the plot before the show started. What does Beowulf sound like? Yeah, what does it, it sound like? It reminds me of some sort of werewolf. And it also reminds me of um, that really creepy C- CGI movie. The Beowulf one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think it was like, two th- what, what What was it, 2006? Terrible, dude. Terrible. I, yeah, I never saw it, but I- I had s- to watch it. I think I saw it on a TV playing in some hotel somewhere, and I was like, this is disturbing. Do you know what's a terrible experience? Reading a book, or I guess a poem, letting your imagination build it, mm. and then actually watching a movie and having it ripped to shreds. Have you ever, have you ever like, um, read a book and then- the movie was like, oh man, this is really good. This is really like accurate. it's accurate, like yeah. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, like Lord of the Rings. Dude, legit Lord of the Rings is like the only one I think. But is that because there was sort of a cultural like, um, it was already part of the culture by the time you you Here's read the it. Thing. I read the scene. Uh, the scene, I guess you could say scene. So if you've seen Lord of the Rings, um, there's a scene in the first book, The Fellowship, also the first movie. Uh, where the there's like four Hobbit characters, basically these four heroes, right? And they are hiding from these creatures that are hunting them. And there's a specific scene that's depicted in the book about um, them being in an opposite hotel room and Aragorn is looking out the window and they had basically set a trap uh, across the way where they had put pillows in their like um, actual hotel room mm-hmm. and the creatures like rip the pillows to shreds because they're trying to kill yeah. these characters, right? And they're hiding at an, in a different room. I kid you not, dude. I depicted that scene in my mind exactly how Peter Jackson directed it. That's awesome. And I was like, this literally, like I was having nightmares about that mm-hmm. scene when I read mm-hmm. the book the first time in like seventh grade. I was like, yeah. this is a terrifying scene, right? These These hooded black creatures hunting these little people. And That's such a good scene in the movie, too. It's a great scene in the movie, and it was, like, legit, exactly the same way I pictured it. Wow, that's awesome. Um, and so I was like, wow, like, this book... Do you think that has something to do with, like, writing, though? Like, like if if you build a world in, in the literature that's so, like, 
like accurate and well depicted that it just automatically translates to to film like is there is there something about that where it's like good literature translates well no i think it's the person who crafts the film it's on it's oh, their yeah. responsibility i mean definitely definitely uh, because i think beowulf could have been translated well mm. and um, not in creepy weird cgi not in creepy weird cgi like what a terrible <laughs> choice <laughs> yeah zemeckis why'd you do that <laughs> so here's the thing when i watched the beowulf film there were some elements that um, were similar to mm-hmm, the poem, mm-hmm. but they, a lot of it was not. Like yeah. Golden Naked Angelina Jolie. Sure. Uh, which is Grendel's mother. That sounds um, fun. Yeah. Like, it's just that this the story of Beowulf, to me, when I heard about it, is our teachers giving the intro lecture about it. Oh, like, you know, it has to do with... Um, I'm going to say Nordic, even though it's not right. <laughs> uh, the, these Nordic societies. I, I Denmark. Told, Denmark, yeah. There's there's some sort of historical weight behind Beowulf. So I was like, oh, cool, like a Viking story, and there's a monster. But what you don't hear is that the the poem, it's kind of short. It's like Beowulf shows up to this tavern eating hall, and there's this monster named Grendel which is a stupid name and it's a big baby that's crying and eating people. It like eats people, but it cries while it does it. Mm-hmm. Beowulf kills it. Grendel's mother shows up angry. Beowulf kills the mother too. And now you're about like 60% done with the poem, maybe more 70. And then the it's like, okay, that should be the end, right? Hero hooray. But it's not. <laughs> the story continues. Beowulf becomes king and for 50 years rules the land. What the heck are we talking about now? Uh, When Beowulf is an old man, suddenly there's a dragon in the mountain. I was like, what? (laughs) And the dragon in the mountain like comes down and then there's like a big battle or something. It's like the original cliffhanger. (laughs) And then Beowulf uh, dies mortally wounded after beating the dragon. He's like, I still got something. I still got something. I killed those old bees. Now I killed this dragon. And then he dies, and like everyone's like, "Yay, Beowulf!" And I was just like, "What the heck did I just read? Like, why couldn't it just... I mean, I don't know. Beowulf is just a mess, in my opinion. Mm. That's that's just mm. my opinion, though. Well, you know, it was written like a thousand years ago, so. <laughs> okay, we got past those old a thousand years ago stories. Yeah, I was I was looking up the first book. Because apparently that's something we do on this podcast. That's right. There's some history about um, this. It, it was, I think it was the Epic of Gilgamesh is what All it right. said. Which is like uh, Sumeria, I think 2,700 years ago. That's a long time ago. That is a long time. Um, but but who, I, who, are some of, who are some of your favorites? Who are some of your favorites? Well, Cameron, you're all over the place. Yeah. I, I am guiding this episode, even though you can't believe it. You talked about Fahrenheit or uh, Animal Farm. Yeah. And we also mentioned Fahrenheit 451 in 1984. I think it's time to talk about those dystopian books that we were alluding to. So let's start with Animal Farm. Um, You said you read this in seventh grade? Yeah. I don't remember when I read it. It I feel like like way earlier than I I read it my sophomore year. Mm. And my teacher gave me a pretty good, like, background about the book. 
Yeah. Um, I read it way too early to get that background. So everybody in the class was like, why are these animals turning into men and then animal animals again? I don't understand. <laughs> you want to uh, give a synopsis of kind of what happened in Animal Farm? Um, yeah. The pigs are really mad about the farmers and then they overthrow the farm and they start to rule it. But eventually they, um, they become exactly uh, who they hate. They become exactly as... As they treat the the other animals exactly as the as the farmers treated them, is basically the the moral of the story. But it's about it's about the the Russian Revolution of of 1917. So I have a little bit of a summary here. Okay. Uh, one of the the big pig proposing the rebellion, named Old Major, basically dies at the beginning of the book, and you have three young pigs: Snowball, Napoleon, and Squealer. <laughs> <laughs> kind of good names that yeah. begin to lead the resistance against Mr. Jones, uh, who is the farmer. And they basically, um, they basically drive him out of the farm and they rename the farm animal farm. And then they, uh, create seven commandments and it's basically like very dystopian, but it's, it's comical cause it's portrayed through these animals, snowball and Napoleon, the two little piggies, uh, they, they, well, of the three, right? They uh, fight for control of the farm, and Napoleon basically runs Snowball off the farm with his specially trained dogs. Uh, you know, this I hope you're you're kind of seeing the uh, the allusion to to <laughs> to Stalin, right? And and uh, Trotsky. Yeah, if you didn't know, Animal Farm is a allegory, right, for the Russian Revolution. Yeah, yeah, and and. Specifically, like Stalin and his rise to power, and yeah. So I mean, it's it's a very interesting story. But, that, but that's why I didn't. Nobody understood it when we were in seventh grade because nobody knew what that was. You know what I mean? Like there was just no. The, we had no. We had nothing to register against it. Um, so I, I'm. I would love to to go back and reread it. It's interesting because the animals began to have a relationship with other farms in the area. I don't know if you remember that part mm. of the book, and they start negotiating deals and like there's there's price things. It's all an allegory for what happened. Um, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. <laughs> yeah, fun. Yeah, so and you find out that um, they they had a rule about no drinking, uh, but then they that some of the animals start finding cases of whiskey in the farmhouse. And then the 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 law is secretly changed behind everyone's back to no animal should drink alcohol to excess. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's interesting. Uh, my favorite part of the book is about Boxer, who's a loyal ho- horse character, and uh, he basically is getting old and is about to retire. But what ends up happening to Boxer? Um, is that he is put in a van saying that he's going to go to the hospital um, by Napoleon, but every uh, <laughs> the the van says horse slaughter and glue boiler on the side, <laughs> and then the the rest of the farm finds out the boxer died three days ago in the hospital. Um, but <laughs> it's just funny, dude. The book is weird, yeah, and it is like it's it's funny to laugh at because you picture these animals. But just think about it, dude, George Orwell getting pretty uh, spicy right there. I he really was. I mean, he was criticizing Stalin like right as 
Like this this book came out in forty four, I believe. That's crazy. Um, and so this was like, like Stalin, he was. They were still allied with uh, with, with Britain um, in World War Two. So, I mean, yeah, he was he was ahead of the curve. I I actually genuinely think Orwell was a genius. I think he was like he. The more and more I live, and the more and more I see the dystopian future that we're adopting. Um, the more I think 1984 is like a prophecy. Like seriously, I think I think Orwell was was a straight up genius. It is weird that he was. He there there are things he alludes to, as if he saw a glimpse into the future and didn't know how to describe it, so he wrote a weird book about it. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because Orwell also wrote 1984 or uh, Fahrenheit. No, no, no. Four fifty one. No, no, no. He read nineteen. He wrote nineteen. Nineteen eighty four. You're right. Sorry. Ray Bradbury was Fahrenheit. 451. Right. I always conflate those two. I get them mixed up. Mm, mm. So, um, but yes, sorry. That's what I meant. But I mean, 1984 is, I think, is always brought up in conversations about, about like, oh, we're living in a weird authoritarian world. But like, the more and more we learn about about how our our phones are spying on us and how, you know, like, like there's just more stuff that comes out every day that we're like, oh. Oh, we're actually living in 1984. This is actually real. <laughs> this is yeah. what's happening. Um, you know, and like he, he came up with so many amazing concepts like like double think. Um, do you remember double think? Sort of. Um, and thought crime, things like that. We'll we'll get into 1984 here. Um so so yeah, so 1984 is a dystopian novel. Um I'm sure a lot of people have read it actually. Um about uh, basically it's, it's a guy who is, well, it's a society who, uh, they're called Ingsoc, um, the English socialists, I believe. Um, and they live in this weird, like very monitored, very like, um, structured society where everyone is, everyone is kept in check by this, by big brother. Um, and big brother is sort of this mythical figure who's um always on the tv um and the tv watches you the tv's inside your house it watches you it and it listens to you and so if you do anything if you step out of line if you do anything that that big brother doesn't doesn't like um you get sent to room 101 and you're never seen seen from again so um but basically it's uh, i mean what it is it's it's self-policing is really what what becomes the the main driving factor. It's not necessarily um, this uh, TV that's spying on you. It's also the people who are around you, who are uh, talking about what you're doing, who are who are reporting on you. And this is something that he um, he didn't witness it, but he he kind of gathered from from the Soviet Union because that's that's exactly what happened is like everybody was was telling on each other like children were incentivized to spy on their families right right um and so yeah and so in in 1984 there's this um this weird authoritarian government but i think one of the more um one of the things that isn't talked about as much as the sort of overarching um authoritarianism is this concept of of newspeak um do you remember this Mm -mm. so newspeak is the new language so they have this thing called thought crime 
which is basically if you if you think something that goes against the party, if you think something that's out of line, um, you are uh, you you can be taken taken in for questioning right, right. and whatnot. Um, and so Newspeak is um, I could just read read you the definition here. It's the method uh, for controlling thought through language, um, and basically it's they create a new language that doesn't allow for thought crime. So oh. so it instead of saying something that would be allowed through thought crime, it's just not in it's just not in the dictionary. You can't say it. And so they're trying to they're trying to engineer language so that you can't think anything but what the party thinks. Right, right. Um and this is something that is like so terrifying to me. It's like literally so terrifying to me. Um because I think we see it more and more is this sort of um engineering of language engineering of of how people are supposed to think through their uh through what they say that's what tiktok is doing right now that is what tiktok is doing i right knew now. it those kid, those youngins they're saying things like it's lit <laughs> or like what <laughs> no, it is but but on a serious note i do think that's what twitter is doing like literally i, Dude, think I don't care about twitter, twitter at doing. all I know, I but I hate Twitter. I know, but Twitter is a as a way of of controlling the narrative. I guess, maybe, maybe, but anyways, I think Twitter's toxic. The well, only I mean, thing I ever yeah. like on there is uh, funny stuff. Let me just read you this quote. Do it. If one is to rule and to continue ruling, one must be able to dislocate the sense of reality. For the secret of rulership is to combine a belief in one's own infallibility with a power to learn from past mistakes. Who said it? That was George Orwell. Yeah. It's um, interesting. Yeah, and that's, and that's how the, the party um, controls people, essentially. Yeah. And so another one of these books that I think is super influential in my sort of... Uh, thought and philosophical trajectory was um Aldous Huxley's uh, A Brave New World. And that that book is almost it's it's a little bit the 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 uh foil to to 1984. Um because instead of a a weird controlling authoritarian regime that's that's got their hands and everything. It's people's uh people's pleasure um, allowing themselves to be controlled. So basically everybody is drugged up and everybody is um, basically controlled by sort of a um, a weird form of um, of sexual taboo, which is it's like the opposite of of the current sexual taboo where it's like you can't say no to someone is essentially what it is. Mm. Um, it's rude to say no to someone because that's discrimination. Right. Um, and so this book is like everybody is controlled because because not because of the fear of uh, of what's going to happen if you don't comply, but it's because they actually just want to. It's the it's the pleasure uh, sort of inverse of, of 1984. Hmm. It sounds interesting. I haven't I haven't ever really read Brave New World. I think I've only heard you talk about it. So. It's very, very good. I, I highly recommend it. I know we mentioned Fahrenheit 451. Mm -hmm. um, that book is about, like, I, also drugs, I remember, in Fahrenheit, right? Yeah, they kind of, they're like, they're drugged in a couple ways. They're drugged, like, actual drugs, and then they have 
the TV, which they is... They have, like, the VR of, TV room, like, yeah. the four-wall TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, firemen in that book are, burn like... Burn books. Burn books. Yeah. That's, like, the whole thing. Like, knowledge is restricted. Yes. It's kind of the idea. And then he runs away with a book at the end. Yeah. Um. Kind of the main idea with these dystopian stories that we've been talking about. And I would say this about most books because of the time commitment and the amount of... I mean, books don't really have a page cap. Like, they just can go no. on forever. Yeah. They're extremely atmospheric. Extremely. I almost... I I feel emotion when, like, thinking about these books. Um, and I sometimes I, like, don't even remember the plot. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, totally. rem- remembering the plot, like is more difficult than actually capturing the feeling. And that's that's how I feel about most books. By the way, I've read all those except for A Brave New World. Um, so, good job, Isaac. I think I'm going to... I decided the name of this episode. What? It's going to be like, Isaac Doesn't Read. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what it's going to be called. You should read You should read Brave New World, though. It's, like, super engaging. You, you like... I flew through it. Cool. I, I would recommend it. Have you ever read the... Um, it's sort of... This is This is going off. Breaking off from... Uh, dystopian fiction. That's Have you ever read read the uh, Song of Ice and Fire books, the Game of Thrones books? No, but funny you say that. The other night I was playing Overwatch, and these this guy was talking about uh, ice and fire in the chat, and I was like, "What does this guy mean?" He's just <laughs> he like he kept going on and on into the, like the public chat box about fire and ice, and uh, we played this match where. The two guys, one of the guys was queued with a buddy. They were just using, like, these two characters that were doing fire and ice. And I was like, I could have swore that was some sort of, like, something. Like, what is, <laughs> isn't that, like, a book? It's funny. So it's funny you mentioned it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the first three are amazing. They're brilliant. The fourth one is absolutely terrible. It's so bad. So wait, is Game of Thrones, they're based on the books? Yes, yes. Okay. So And it basically translates one season. Well, it's, like, one and a half seasons of the of the show per book. Um, until the later seasons, they kind of went off the rails because um, cool. he hasn't really he hasn't released a book in eleven years, I think. <laughs> oh, so. so he's pretty much done. Uh, no, he's got two more that he has to release, but he's also getting really old, and he's like, he's like, I'm gonna finish him, but he he like writes really slow. It's it's so funny. Yeah. Um, oh man. But I think I think they're very worth reading. It's um. It's on the darker side of of fiction of like um, fantasy fantasy yeah, uh, whereas like, and it's also very low magic. Um, so there is magic in the in the world, but it's not like, um, it's not like Lord of the Rings with you know there are wizards and things happening and magic all over the place. You know right, what I mean? Right. Magic rings. Um, but it's it's very. It's very interesting because I watched the first season of Game of Thrones before I read the books, um, and I watched the first season and I was like, "Wow, wow, this is really good. I I really like this." And then I read the first book and I was like, "This is so much deeper and like so much more dense than uh, than the TV show got. Like it it was insane how much detail he put into everything, into yeah. every character." Um, and so yeah, I mean those are. I think those are are good recommendations, just for fun books. I mean, they're they're really not that intellectual or anything, but they're very. Um, there's a lot of like medieval politics stuff, um, a lot of a lot of stuff like that. That I yeah. Find what really are some books 
that you would recommend for fun instead of like him being so heavy literature for fun because that that's the thing like I remember I read a lot of books when I was younger like I specifically read this I guess it's it's weird I think it's called like young teen section yeah yeah the young young like I read the young adult yeah there's like Percy Jackson series and I read the Hunger <laughs> Games and I read like those books I remember enjoying those a lot. Um, I never read Hunger, books. dude. Hunger Games like had major suffering. I when I watched the first Hunger Games movie, I was legitimately disappointed mm. in the way that they like translated it to screen. But the second one, I think they did better, which is weird. Hmm. I remember like I watched the second one, and the second one is like for some reason, is that the, the oh the, the second one ends on a cliffhanger, but I remember that the the movie depicted the um, arena correctly. Like, I remember yeah, that was, like, yeah. the first thing. I was like, yes, this is how I pictured it. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting comparing film and book. to, But but it's weird. When you take an English class, teachers make you watch the movie. Uh, mine didn't a lot of Mine time. did. That's public school for you. <laughs> they made you watch the movie. Yeah, mine, very often we didn't watch the movie. We would watch sections of the movie. Right, right, right. But did you ever do that thing where you had to watch multiple versions of the movie? Uh, yeah. So that of. happened to me with The Great Gatsby. Oh, okay. There are multiple versions Did of you watch movie. the new Great Gatsby? The, we watched um, a section of it. The Boz Lerman one? I have watched the the new one. Yeah. And I didn't think it was that bad, but... I've it, seen it. It's not It's not that bad. I, I do... I actually love um, Tobey Maguire as the, as the lead. Mm. I think that he fits it perfectly. Yeah. Something about, like, his dumb puppy eyes and, like... <laughs> Him being like really sobby all the time. Because mm. when I read Gatsby, I was like, why is it from the perspective of the loser in this situation? <laughs> like, you don't get to. Gatsby yeah. is like the whole, the mystery of it. And he writes like he's having some sort of like erotic experience watching Gatsby like exist. That's like, that's how the book feels until Gatsby. Yeah. Doesn't he commit crimes at the end? Doesn't he have someone killed? Uh, I don't remember the end of that book. Something about a gas all remember, station. All I re- yes, there is the gas station. The gas station. There's a car accident. Yes. Um, I remember a a billboard with some green eyes. Oh yeah. Um, yep. and I think that's how one of the scenes in that movie with Toby Maguire starts. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that the start of the book? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and the lighthouse. And the lighthouse. Like I'm saying, dude, books. Something about atmosphere, right? It just links with you. There's mm. certain things that like stand out. Images, yeah. To most people, um, I like Gatsby, but I thought that it had kind of a wet fart of an ending, um, <laughs> because there's so much buildup and mystery around who Gatsby is. And I do wish that he was like really weird, like mm. like like it it gets weird because he keeps lying about his identity when he's yeah. around um, the lead character. I'm just gonna say Tobey Maguire. Um, <laughs> But it, I just remember it not being as like it, it instead of it ending in like really dark suspense, which is how I usually prefer uh, my movies. <laughs> like, I mean, I always talk about Drive, like that movie. Yeah. There's like a lot of mystery, and then it builds up into like super dark, like at a dark explosion of of like action and and, and terror in it. Um, Gatsby doesn't do that. It ends in like drama tension of hmm. two people barking back at each other. And I'm like, okay, that's a little, eh, you know. Yeah, that's fine. I remember I I was I was like confused about like 
we always talked about how it was it was this allegory for the American dream and whatnot. I never saw it. But I was like, what? what? Oh, you never saw that I allegory? I never saw the allegory. Yeah, me neither, because I was always like, this is a really ill-defined version of the American dream. I don't really understand what, what you mean by that. You know what I mean? Like, To me, Gatsby was like a rock star games presents the 1950s, right? It's 1950s, right? Uh, no, it's the 20s. 20s, 1920, roaring 20s, right? Yeah. It felt like Rockstar Games presents the 1920s, mm. where it over-exemplifies a specific social class's experience in yeah. a time period, right? Yeah, yeah. It's basically the rich and wealthy uh, side of the 1920s. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's, it, it um, what do you mean by it? like that yeah I'm confused the same way you are like what did they mean by it's an allegory when it's just like an overdramatized version of it yeah it's just like it's like animal, tri- animal farm is an allegory oh yeah it's and it's the greatest allegory and it's like beat for beat and it's it is clever and I mean the same way like I don't know if this is an allegory but I saw the Lego movie um Everything that happens in Lego Movie 2 and also... Well, I, I'll, let's stick with Lego Movie 2 because that's what the fresh one. Everything that happens in Lego Movie 2 is actually smartly connected to an allegory of kids playing with Legos. Mm. Um, from the voices to... Uh, like, like, there's always these scenes. My brother didn't even catch this. There's scenes where, like, Lego figure Batman will throw bats, batarangs at, like, these enemy... Are characters like these big purpley Duplo characters, mm-hmm. and it'll hit them, and then the enemy will be like, "You didn't hit me," and Batman's like, "Yes, I did." Right? <laughs> but like, people watch that and they're like, "That's not that funny." But it's like, it's not a joke. What it is is it's an allegory for two kids playing. Right. right it's the right. brother saying, "I hit you," and the little sister saying, "It didn't work." Yeah. I have exactly. super. Li- There's even scenes in the movie where like the pink, pretty like girl Legos are like. I have super laser power and it causes like a nuclear explosion, right? <laughs> Which, and it's an allegory for basically them tearing each other's Legos apart and fighting. Yeah. Right? So, um, th- to me, that's an allegory. I didn't see that in Gatsby at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was just, yeah, I was just confused about it. Was there any, um, what, how, how, how far are we? How, how far We're along coming are we? up on 55 minutes. Okay. So I think we should wrap up with like like some some honorable mentions. Well, I actually want to rip apart uh, one book. Oh, okay, go ahead. One book in particular. Yeah, go ahead. I'll rip apart another book too if, if you're doing it. So if you don't recall, we had a powerful uh, aspects of narrative, um, which was like episode 11, 10, 12. I think it's a, a good episode of the show, but it's not like tied down to just specifically books and one of the books that i really ripped on was a a title called native son and if you want to hear the uh, synopsis of that particular story you can check out that episode i'm not going to talk about it but this novel this novel is called kite runner Mm. and i had to read kite runner my freshman year of high school and it's written by someone named khalid uh hosini and it was published in 2003, so kind of a modern book, right? And it, it sort of depicts a perspective of a Middle Eastern kid who... He basically, like, grows up in an area that is not 
it, it's on the brink of being a very unsafe environment in the Middle East. But he witnessed, like he had, it's so weird. The The book is about guilt. And I think that's maybe mm-hmm. why I didn't enjoy it. Being a freshman, I think I was kind of dealing with self-guilt issues anyways at that time. And when I read this book, I, f- I, I didn't feel good at the end. And I'm not sure. saying every book has to feel good, but it didn't, it also didn't make me feel like I had learned much about mm. guilt other than the fact that it existed. And the story has a very dark turn because it's about two kids playing around with each other. And then one day, like this, the, the main character witnesses his friend get raped in an alleyway. And the whole, like the whole book is about this kid he didn't intervene in the moment, which I like didn't like as a freshman, right? I was just like, why wouldn't he help him? And that's besides the point. But the rest of the book is about him feeling guilty about not helping his friend. Mm. And as a result, he pushes his friend away. And then he grows up feeling guilty. And the whole time he talks about how he's guilty, right? And then the, the end of the book, he moves to the U.S. And he has a better life. But eventually he goes back home and like I think his friend had died or something, but he went to go like adopt his orphaned child as some sort of way to like heal his guilt. That sounds like a pretty good story to me. <laughs> it was like a it was just a swamp to get through. Mm. Yeah. The way it's written is just so depressing and when I read it, I didn't enjoy any of it. Mm. And I think that's why I just, I don't like the book. I like the idea of struggling with guilt because I think we all have had to experience some sort of guilt yeah. in our lives, right? Just the way it was depicted on how he didn't face it for his entire life and somehow adopting the orphaned kid of a dead friend would solve it i was like i don't believe that this would fix him yeah like it it breaks my suspense of disbelief Mm. it's like as a matter of fact i think it would make the guilt even worse Mm. um obviously you had to take that kid if you didn't take the kid you're literally the worst person on the planet (laughs) (laughs) i just i don't know i was like i don't like this book Mm. it's not uh, i don't recommend it and a lot of people like it um i actually think my sister enjoyed it Hmm. But I'm I'm not 100 percent sure, so we can get to the honorable mentions. Wait, I do want to. I would, I just want to uh, dishonorably shout out Great Expectations. Not a classic. Not very good. Disliked. Didn't understand it. I also read it in seventh grade though, so that might be why. <laughs> I read uh, Huckleberry Finn. Oh, I like Huckleberry Finn. I didn't get it. That's I a good didn't book. Understand it? Oh come on. And I kind of thought it was funny. It was like a weird mixed bag because it was trying to be serious, but also like it's a little kid. I think it's a little humorous. And then there's like this black guy too who like the kid doesn't understand the racial tension in the book. Um, But it's all seen from a kid's perspective. There's like a scene where he breaks out. I think the black character breaks uh, out. There's like a scene where he, he breaks out someone 
And it's seen mm. through a kid's eye where he's like, oh, yeah, it was like a special secret mission. Yeah. But like, it was like he like was doing a crime in like sure. the South or something. Mm. I don't know. It was, it, it's fine. I don't know. <laughs> I feel so lukewarm about a lot of these required readings in high school. And that's I, why I was I so. I totally agree, actually. That's why I was so like iffy on doing this as a subject, right? Like we read the Odyssey. Um, I touch a lot on Grapes of Wrath in that old I podcast I really liked episode. the Odyssey, actually. Odyssey's cool. It's and the cool. did you read the Iliad? No. I did not understand that book at all. I did not. I did not read it. Um, did you ever read... I don't know. There's a bunch of like like old, old classics that were like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I don't I, get that. I had a great teacher at West Valley uh, make us read this book called In the Heart of the Sea. Mm. And it's about a whale destroying this ship and it's actually a non-fiction story it's like a real story yeah 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 um of these guys exp- like fighting this whale that keeps showing up and, and it's like the same whale or maybe not i don't know uh but it destroys their ship and then like these guys have to um like they're on these lifeboats and then they start losing each other on the lifeboats and then they don't have food and so some of them have like i think they have to like have cannibalism, right? Mm. Uh, they have to eat each other, just like the Donners. Yeah, but it's not like it's it's weird because it's a very like like the, there's three sailors on the boat in the story uh, towards the end of the story, mm-hmm. right? And they're like, we don't have food, we're gonna have to start eating each other, right? Sure. Like they're literally like that's what it's gonna come down to. I mean that's what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be sorry, Isaac. I know we have a podcast, but <laughs> well, <laughs> this it, is it. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of interesting, like how they, uh, like probably one of the coolest parts of that book is is when they're the three of them are discussing, and it's like a true story. Yeah. So it's like intense, right? The three of them are like, I'm so tired, like we, <laughs> like I can't even think straight, and we're yeah. like trying to have this conversation, right? Um. But yeah. you said you also liked Moby Dick too, right? I haven't. I, haven't I didn't read I Moby read Dick. I was talking about it in the heart of the sea. Oh, I see. I see. see. That, that was the story. Got it. Um, either in the heart of the sea, I can't remember now that we're discussing it. I don't know if Moby Dick is based on in the heart of the sea or if in the heart of the sea, like the survivors thought that the whale was Moby Dick. I can't mm. remember if it was one or the other. Mm. Uh, but one came out before the other. That's for sure. I can say that in the heart of the sea was. Written in like 2003, but it was based, the story happened, I think, I think it said like 1820, something like that. Yeah. I have a book that I think everybody should read, and it's in my backpack right now, actually. What? The Bible? Hold on. Oh, boy. It's the Gulag Archipelago. It's so good. Oh, such a good book. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, I know. Nobody knows what it is. Um, it's about the, it's about this guy, it's nonfiction, um, it's about this guy's experience in, uh, oh, you see this? Look at this. I got it used for $5 at a bookstore. Nice. Um, Books are cheap. It's it's about um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's experience in um, a Soviet gulag. Ugh. Um, and he, but he goes through the, the utter depravity that basically led his country into throwing people into gulags oh. and it's it's like it's absolutely amazing so it talks about incredible book him as a russian and yes. him experiencing the he russian he was a veteran he was a he was a world war ii veteran he comes back home 
and he's thrown in into a gulag for um, uh, having connections to the international bourgeoisie. That's what they throw him in in, uh, in the gulag for. That's brutal. And he lives there, I think, until the 60s. He's in there for like 20 years or something. Um, but he go he goes through and he documents. I mean, the first half of the book, it, it's so okay. It's in three parts. First of all, um, there's like three books that are this big. <laughs> nice. Um, but there's an abridged version now. Um, but he he goes through and he just talks about. Um, he talks about like the political system in in the country and how like there are people in in positions of power, not just, not just Stalin and Lenin and whatnot. He goes, he talks about them too, but there are pe- people under him in position of power. He calls them the blue caps, um, that are basically like they oversee, um, districts and they, they will basically just throw you in the gulag for whatever reason. Like he tells a story about one time, you know, someone is in the gulag because the, uh, the blue cap officer he wanted like a cigarette lighter that that the guy had, and Oof. so he just threw he just tossed him in the gulag. Yikes! Um, Those it, Russians. And he just talks about like it's amazing. It's a great book. I want to talk about Russia. I think it's a required in reading. the post show. Okay. Okay. We're up on an hour and five. But let's get. I want to talk about a couple more. We can. One crime and pu- punishment. Another Russian novel. What are you you and the Russians right now? Um. Amazing, Fyodor uh, Dostoevsky, amazing book. It's about a guy who, spoiler alert, it's not really a spoiler alert, a guy who murders an old lady because he thinks he can get away with it, and he actually does get away with it, but then that drives him mad, and it's amazing. Great book. Mm. Um, another one that I loved, in high, we read it in high school, was Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Um, another one that like you're talking about where I don't remember the plot whatsoever, but it was such an atmospheric book and like left such a visual impact on me that it was amazing. Yeah. I know we, I've talked about, I don't know if I already said this, but Grapes of Wrath just in that, in that, uh, that past narrative episode, super visual for me. And, um, the Scarlet Letter, more of like a feeling I feel like the Scarlet Letter handled guilt better than Kite Runner, hmm. so that's that. That was my two cents on that. Um, and yeah, I mean, those are pretty much the books that I could remember off the top of my head. I know I've read more than that. It's just discussing it here makes me want to read more. Kind of like when our our board games episode when we we're talking about board yeah. games. Did you ever play board games after that? <laughs> yeah, dude, I played one um, a couple days ago, uh, like. It's Friday? Yeah. Played a game four days ago at Jonathan's house for his birthday. Nice. Um, It was like, shoot. I do not remember the name of it. Would you ever want to do D&D? Nah. It sounds fun. It does sound fun, but it sounds like a lot of time. Like, I like like shorter games now. Uh, Or like like hour and a half Mm. is a good time period if I'm going to do like a long form game. Yeah. Um. But yeah, overall, any any last thoughts, Cameron? Like like we said, this this episode was produced by Kiana Lay, and it was a suggestion uh, for a show topic. I think books are important, but like, what's the big takeaway? And this episode was brought to you by Audible, Audible.com. No, no it wasn't. Kidding. It wasn't. Um, the big takeaway, um, I think people should read more. I think uh, learning to read and reading from not 
not reading because you have to, but reading for, for your own sort of expanding your own knowledge is really helpful. And I think it's something that um, our generation could really use. And I think reading these classics of the past, even though a lot of times they can be like a slog to get through, I think a lot of times there can be wisdom, like nuggets of wisdom that you can get um, from from these from these books that you wouldn't really think about. Hearing you talk about novels inspires me to want to go read. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I'll get into the reading that you are suggesting until I'm out of school. Yeah. I'm excited to be out of school and read just for me. You know what I'm saying? Sure. It's the same way. Like I, I work for a church right now and it's weird for me to take a check for something that I used to do for free, mm-hmm. right? Like I used to love to just give my time to the music programming and whatnot uh, at churches. It's a way to let me continue to play my instruments and give up for something that I believe is good. Um, but even at now, as I work for the church, I tell my um, my coworkers, I'm like, I can't wait till I leave and I can do this for free for me, mm. basically, yeah. right? It's yeah. something that I want to give. And that's the same way I feel about books, to be real. Um there's still some really good, uh, some great stuff I'm reading still in school. I actually didn't buy textbooks this semester, almost as a social experiment and also because I'm broke. I didn't want to buy them. I didn't buy textbooks last semester. Yeah, I didn't want to buy them to see kind of how it went. So far, this semester has been pretty tough. But I just like never touch my books. Like I still have one of my econ textbooks in plastic. <laughs> I had never opened it. Yeah. And it was like for two semesters ago. I was just like, okay, well... I, I just, I probably won't do it next semester, but I think I'm going to do like a middleman approach where I'm like, what is, what are the books that I really need? Mm. And what are the ones that like, I could probably pass on? Yeah. Well, I think summertime is always a good, a good place to, to sit down and read a book, get into something. I think honestly, like if you want something that is, um, intellectually stimulating, totally read, read the soul books. Like you'll get, you'll, you will love them. I will I I have to check them out, man. I I am thinking about doing some reading this summer. There's like a particular spot I'm thinking of when I go on vacation with my family that we just have time to sit around. Mm. So maybe I'll have to like prepare and bring a nice book. Yeah, for something. sure. That'd be good. And also the other takeaway is that Russians uh, write really good books, apparently. With that said, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, this has been... Episode 34 of Everything Comes From Something, still titleless. Well, probably Isaac Can't Read. Or Cameron Likes Books and Isaac Can't Read, so what are we doing? <laughs> um, again, if you want to support us on Patreon, and even though I'm slurring my words, I swear I'm not usually this crap, uh, <laughs> you can support us on patreon.com slash Podcast. We are on the social media stuff, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We'll post mostly to Instagram. I try to get to Facebook sometimes, but it's usually just info relaying to the episode. Um, And give us a rating on iTunes and tell a friend. That's how podcasts grow. So we appreciate your guys' support. Right now we are transitioning to our post-show called Nothing to Do with Anything, which is kind of what our main show is about today anyways. Yeah. Um, Cameron, what's going on with life, dude? Oh, man, I'm just like, uh, you know, just kind of tired. Got my back from Tahoe. Th- my throat hurts, dude. It was so snowy in Tahoe today, let me tell you. Dude, there's been snows on the hills in San Jose. I know, that's weird. It's cool. There, It snowed in Twin Peaks, which is like the middle of San Francisco. That's awesome. Yeah. I wasn't there that day. I think I was down here recording a podcast. <laughs> 
That's sweet, though. Yeah. I'm like, I need to, I, speaking of reading more, I really need to read more because I'm doing absolutely nothing. Aren't you lucky, dude? No, um, I mean, I go to work and then I come home and I'm like, hey, Isaac, we got to record. And then, <laughs> and then, and then. Do we sound tired on this show? I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, we sound tired. We sound tired on the show. Burnt out. I'm beat. I got homework after this. I really don't want to do it. I got to go hang out with my girlfriend's mom, which will be fun. That will be fun. Yeah. I think so. I'm looking forward to it. So let me tell you about something that I learned at school. Okay. Because even though it's not fully useful information, it's not useless either. Well, economics, it's not very useful. (laughs) Well, I learned it in my green energy and environment class. Oh. And it had to do a lot about with econ, so I don't really know why he showed this particular documentary um but yeah it was about oil um and kind of what happened with oil and i thought it was an interesting story because my teacher is from france and he's like it's crazy to me that you americans watch the news and you literally have no idea what's going on because your news is so bad that's how he feels about it Mm. so he watched a french documentary that was in english And it had to do with what was going on with oil. So I want to teach our listeners a little bit about oil just because I find it quite fascinating and show how even like a global scale market is really just as simple as normal economics. Now, before you uh, turn off this episode or said fall asleep, just I'll make it brief. Okay. (laughs) Let me just say that. I'll make it real quick. Um, So here's a story. Oil, particularly petroleum, gasoline, Mm. is provided by, or was provided by, no, is provided by three major nations right now. Mainly Russia, Saudi Arabia, and the United States. And it wasn't always that way. Pretty much Saudi Arabia is the main supplier, and they uh, have a heavy influence in this organization something that kind of unites the Middle East in terms of their oil output called OPEC. And OPEC is one of the largest suppliers of petroleum through, I don't know the exact methods that they get it, but they they use mining to some degree, right? And so here's what happened. Everybody, well, I don't know about everybody, but a lot of people in America remember in 1970, I think it was 1977. I think it's 1973. 73? Yeah. Not sure. There's like this big uh, gasoline crisis um, because nations that are uh, uh, nations that kind of have the leadership under OPEC decided to put um, heavy restrictions on countries that aligned with Israel. Um, And this caused a massive gas shortage in America. There's these long gas lines and people waiting to get gasoline. It was 73, by the way. Good call, dude. Um, and so this this situation kind of put the U.S. on edge. Because well, yeah, obviously, because another nation was pushing around the economy of the U.S. <laughs> right. What we realized is that we were not self-sustaining and we were relying heavily on the supply of oil from another nation. And this led the U.S. to try to look for solutions outside of relying on importing oil gasoline and as a result came about this method called fracking now fracking is controversial but science hasn't quite yet 
And, and this is, I mean, science hasn't quite decided if fracking is bad or good yet. There are studies saying it's bad. There are some other studies saying it's not the end of the world. Uh, it's really too soon to fully tell. One of the problems with fracking that has been pointed to is that it is disruptive to the water supply, nearby water supplies. That's the main issue. I think. Um, and it's because they use high-powered jets of water. What they do is they shoot chemicals with water yes. really deep into the earth to break up uh, natural gases that are lying down below. And it's quite effective, but it, like you said, has an ecological consequence. Yeah. So I'm in my green energy class, and my professor, who's totally go green, right, is talking about fracking, and obviously he's not a total fan of it, but at the same time he acknowledges it's hard to really say. Like, it's it's really hard to, like, say that it's a complete net bad. Well, it's also important, good. It's important to note that because we're off of... Um, well, okay, so we're using gas. Natural gas is cleaner than than coal, um, as far as carbon emissions go, um, as well as potentially cleaner for the environment. Although the jury's still out on that, correct? Yeah, um, uh, there there's issues with methane release as well. Yeah, with natural yeah, yeah. gas, which scientists didn't anticipate. Sure. So there was there was a transition from coal to natural gases because of a power efficiency adjustment. So basically. Coal retained like forty five percent of the energy it was it was like produced, and natural gas holds like ninety five percent. Yeah, and that's because we all have gas lines to our houses. Yeah, uh, we basically get the gas direct and convert it to energy right here. It's not like being converted at a generator. Right, right, right. Nobody's had nobody has coal in their house anymore. <laughs> right, we don't want black walls on our nice. Did you white know? Finish. You probably know this. I've probably told you this, but that's how Plato was started. Did you know that? No. So Plato was used to be a coal cleaner. It used to be wallpaper cleaner with borax in it, Ugh. Um, and it still has borax in it. Um, and it was rebranded as Plato because everybody stopped using coal. That's great. Straight up. That's a smart move. It is a smart move. I like that. Okay. So where was I? Nineteen seventy-three. The United States decides to shift on a, a method of self-reliability with fracking, and it turns out to be working great. Well, not in 1973, but later. Later, right? Yeah. Uh, it really starts to pick up in the 2000s. Yeah. Um, and fracking is is driving basically supply for oil, and the U.S. can actually begin to export oil. Yeah. We are now a net exporter of oil. Right. I think we're one of the few but here's countries. Why? This is why people don't realize it. Mm. OPEC sees that the United States has started fracking and that they're producing a large majority of petroleum. Well, OPEC, like any other supplier, doesn't want more competition in the market. Sure. So we're watching this documentary and they get they go to like Russian officials that are in charge of like their um their supply of energy and they start talking about natural gas and petroleum right and the russians are like yeah we we assume that if the price of petroleum per barrel went under uh 80 we were screwed dude mm. like we couldn't have a sustainable way of selling we would be selling for too high of a price 
because we we basically need that level of production. Then they go to the the U.S. right, and they said, well, with this fracking technology, we have to expect at least forty to forty five dollars per barrel, right? That's the minimum requirement we would be able to sell and continue production, yeah. right? So what OPEC does is they say, well, we have the most oil. As a matter of fact, we have the most power to produce. So they begin to overflood the market with oil to the point where they bring it down to $60. Russia's like, oh, crap, right? <laughs> Not then, OPEC, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> then like by, I think it was like 2012, they drove it down to $40. The U.S. is like, uh, What? And by like 2014, it was down to like $20. I could be off with the years. I'm just remembering off the top of my head from the documentary that I watched. So they bring it down to like $26 a barrel. And this documentary is like, this is like a high stakes poker game. Because American companies are now shutting down and there's only a few left in the game who are like, we can wait this out. Mm. Like we will wait. We will wait. Like, obviously, we can't sell our oil. Yeah. I mean, we can, but we're at a major loss. So why are we even producing? So um, the American companies start doing, like, major layoffs, right? And they're just waiting, right? And OPEC just keeps pumping out oil. They're like, we got this. We're going to overproduce. Russia's like, I don't know what to do, right? And then what ends up happening is that it's not sustainable, right? Like, OPEC tries its hardest to... Um, push as much oil as it can to the point where it just it can't, and eventually they have like one of those OPEC meetings, and they are like, "We need to scale back production. We're in the red now. Sure. Like at this yeah. point for overproducing, we're in the red." And what's kind of interesting about this story is it's classic economics, right? We as consumers saw the benefit of OPEC pushing the market and overflooding it. Our gas was cheaper. Oh yeah, during that time, right? Now gas prices are going back up because they've leveled, haven't they? They've leveled, but prices fluctuate, right? Yes, yes. So the the U.S. has now become the main exporter for oil because OPEC overstepped its boundary. Now uh, countries like Saudi Arabia, their current leadership is saying, we are over-reliant on the one thing that we sell. We need to start looking at other mediums of energy, Right. And the people of Saudi Arabia are like, dude, no, like this is our he- like this is our thing. Our thing has always been oil. Yeah. And so they're going through this transition period. What's interesting is that, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, like the U.S. Sorry, the, pulling the on my I'm screen. pulling on my cable. Uh, the U.S. Like some people right now are worried that the U.S. is partnering up with Russia, right? Because of the current administration. Um, they're like, oh, like we're we're in bed with Russia and whatnot, dude. Russia is weird right now. Oh yeah, this this documentary documentary is like, weird. okay, because aren't they trying s- to build a giant pipeline into the rest of Europe? Dude, I have no idea what's going on with Russia. This like, I was shocked. The reason I want to talk about this is because I found it so fascinating. Mm. And I'm sorry if you find this stuff boring, but like, what happened is that because OPEC overstepped. It's boundaries. Yeah. They now need time and help to recover, right, from overproducing. But there's an issue, right? There's there's a lot of um, 
Islamic tension between the leadership. Well, it's a very OPEC. It's a very unstable. Yeah, coalition. Uh, it's an it's an alliance. There's Sunni and Shia and uh, there's Shiite. Sunni and Shiite. Yeah. Yeah. My bad. I'm sorry. Um, but this is what's happening for the first time ever. Yeah, ever. In 2016, Putin shook hands with the leader of Saudi Arabia. The king, right? The king, yeah. Yeah. And th- and this is a big deal because basically Russia is now the middleman between Iran, who has been their longtime ally, and Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Those two countries don't get along because nope. of the, the Sunni and Shiite thing. Did I say that right? That time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> is that why? I, I thought there was a... Wasn't there a war? And that's what the documentary said. Oh, okay. So um, now the Russia Russia is working as a middleman in between OPEC. So it's it's interesting, right? Because mm. we're looking at these uh, geopolitical battles beginning to build up, right? right. Where the U.S. is like, we're going to flex with our new fracking technology and take over this. Yeah. And basically the people who were running it, Russia and OPEC, are like, we're going to team up and we're going to take it. So it's just, it, I found it quite fascinating. And then there's a section of the documentary that that was about Denmark and how they produce a, a small chunk of oil, right? Mm-hmm. They're small. So does Canada. Yeah. And and they were like, oh, like, we find it interesting, but uh, we're also going green. Like, they were, like, very, like, go green. <laughs> yeah. And you got to see footage of their, like, um, windmill farm in the ocean, mm. which I thought was just super cool looking. And there was an economist who talked about talked in the documentary who is um, from Denmark, and he was like, "It's really hard to say no as a as a country right now to oil, right?" Yeah. Um, but he was talking about like just look at this situation that occurred within the last twenty years with America and Russia and um, OPEC, right? He was like, "There's this struggle between reliability." Yeah, And so he was like, we actually are trying to build our self-independence with like innovative green energy tactics. Sure. And I was like, that's kind of an interesting like thesis statement for the episode. So you're French or professor, the- right? Yeah. He, he's, fr- he's from France? Yeah. And, and he also hates nuclear? He doesn't like nuclear. Because France is like, I think it's like 40% nuclear energy. Oh, he thinks they're all idiots. That's, that's so bad. He, he I, I'm I'm a big fan of nuclear. No, he nuclear is the way to go. He it's doesn't. The future. He doesn't like nuclear because of the uh, the instability behind the the factories. I guess. Oh yeah, there were two disasters. Yep, sure. Yeah, two disasters as opposed to the the thousands of people who die on oil rigs. Yeah. So we're shutting down Diablo Canyon in California. Uh, with Bad by idea. by 2025. Bad idea. Um, so we were doing a bunch of calculations in the class to figure out how we were going to compensate for the loss of energy production, and it was interesting. Like I, I thought it was like quite doable. Um, the thing that isn't doable is like uh, making everyone buy solar panels, which is something yeah. radical that he was proposing. Right? We did the calculation, and it would save it if everyone had solar panels, but not everyone has 20k. Right, and the state's not going to pay twenty k for everyone to have that. Well, they do subsidize right now, but the problem with subs—I mean, there's bigger economic problems with subsidies other than the state doesn't want to pay. It's that the state chooses 
um, chooses winners and losers, and then that raises the prices of of these goods. So, I mean, that's why that's one of the reasons why solar is still so expensive. Is it, it the free market has not been able to bring down prices? One of the coolest calculations that we did in the class was deciding the energy saved per kilowatt if we switched all lights in the house to LED. Mm. And it was like I was like, that's kind of a reasonable solution, right? Yeah. Even if we called people to go out and buy their own LED lights, which not most people would do, but even if there was like a push for that, I feel like that's a reasonable solution. And yeah, there was I a so. big chunk of energy saved from that. I think it was like 25, 20% mm. uh, if all 11 or 11, uh, 11, <laughs> uh, 11 million houses in California. Did that? Yeah. As you can tell, I've been doing a decent chunk of math. We should wrap it up. We do need to, because you have to go. I gotta go. You gotta go. I didn't. I looked down at the time just now, but we're coming up on an hour 30, Cameron. Oh my goodness. What, what, the, what, happened, the time? To, what happened to the extra 30 minutes? We just, we we blew it. No, 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 but like, did, when did we start recording? Like 4.15-ish? Yeah, so what happened there? We went through like a time warp or something? Because <laughs> it says an hour and a half. I learned recently that time is a flat circle. So I don't even know what that means. But on Well, that if you note, think about it, time, so the flat circle, it's linear, right? But but it loops around because it's a flat circle. I don't know what you're talking about. See what I mean? Nope. It's math. On that note, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, speaking of time, we'll see you next week. And we hope you enjoyed this hodgepodge of an episode. When are they not this way? Let's just do an economics podcast last, next time. Oh, actually, not We next just time. did. Two times from now. That was just, boom, there you go. Boom. Next time we have a, a, a good old special, watch the Oscars. Are you going to watch them? Yeah. Okay. Watch the Oscars, folks. We're going to be back next Monday to discuss.